You're listening to a podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. This is highlights from our weekly service. Good evening, my friends, and welcome to Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. We are a worldwide denomination which welcomes everyone to worship with us, regardless of age or race, gender, sexuality, status and lifestyle. We embrace you. Welcome. Whether you're meeting us here for the first time or you're a regular visitor to our online service, you really are welcome. Thank you for joining us. Tonight we consider how God's justice is different from our own idea of what it means and how it plays out in our own lives. And how God's grace is the blessing that informs us. Let us pray. O God and creator of all, in Jesus you gave us the perfect example of faith, of justice, and in the assurance of God's grace. Help us to develop our faith and our commitment to you and teach us how to have faith in ourselves as his followers. Please strengthen and inspire us to hold on to that faith, especially in difficult times like these COVID days, and in justice and peace, to offer it to the world with open hands and with loving hearts. Amen. And now we're going to hear our first reading. This is from the prophet Jonah and is being read by Anna. After which we shall sing again. And then we will have a reading from the Gospel of Matthew by our sister Jean. And this will be followed by the thoughts of our guest preacher who we would like to warmly welcome. This is Reverend Canon Claire McLaren who comes to us from St Nicholas Cathedral. first reading is from the book of Jonah. God saw what they did. She saw that they had given up their wicked behaviour, so she changed her mind and did not punish them as she'd said she would. Jonah was very unhappy about this and became angry. So he prayed, Lord, didn't I say before I left home that this is just what you would do? That's why I did my best to run away to Spain. I know that you are a loving and merciful God, always patient, always kind, and always ready to change your mind and not punish. Now, Lord, let me die. I am better off dead than alive. The Lord answered, What right have you to be angry? And Jonah went out east of the city and sat down. He made a shelter for himself and sat in its shade, waiting to see what would happen to Nineveh. Then the Lord God made a plant grow up over Jonah to give him some shade so that he would be more comfortable. Jonah was extremely pleased with the plant. But as dawn the next day, at God's command, a worm attacked the plant and it died. After the sun had risen, God sent a hot east wind and Jonah was about to faint from the heat of the sun beating down on his head. So he wished he were dead. I'm better off dead than alive, he said. But God said to him, 
What right have you to be angry about the plant? Jonah replied, I have every right to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said to him, This plant grew up in one night and disappeared the next. You didn't do anything for it and you didn't make it grow. Yet you feel sorry for it. How much more then should I have pity on Nineveh, that great city? After all, it has more than 120,000 innocent children in it, as well as many animals. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading is from Matthew 20, um, chapter 20, 1 to 16. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Once there was a man who went out early in the morning to hire some men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them the regular wage, a silver coin a day, and sent them to work in his vineyard. He went out again to the marketplace at nine o'clock and saw some men standing there doing nothing. So he told them, you also go and work in the vineyard, and I'll pay you a fair wage. So they went, then at 12 o'clock, and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. It was near 5 o'clock when he went to the marketplace and saw some other men still standing there. Why are you wasting the whole day here doing nothing? He asked them. No one hired us, they answered. Well, then you go and work in the vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner told his foreman, all the workers and pay them their wages, standing with those who were hired last and ending with those who were hired first. The men who had begun to work at five o'clock were paid a silver coin each. So when the men who were the first to be hired came to be paid, they thought they would get more, but they too were given a silver coin each. They took their money and started grumbling against the employer. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. Why we put up with a whole day's work in the hot sun, yet you paid them the same as you paid as you paid us. Listen, friend, the owner answered one of them. I have not cheated you. After all, you agreed to do a day's work for one silver coin. Now take your pay and go home. I want to give this man who was hired last as much as I gave him. Don't I have the right to do as I wish with my own money? Oh, are you jealous because I'm generous? And Jesus concluded, so those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Hi. It's really good to have the opportunity to share with you tonight. And I send warmest greetings from the congregation at Newcastle Cathedral, where I work. 
Well, the book of Jonah might not appear to be laugh a minute to the modern reader. But believe it or not, in the 5th century BCE, it was pretty much the nearest thing they got to Have I Got News For You. It was a satirical story when it was written, intended to take the mickey out of Jonah and out of people like Jonah who were racist in their attitudes to others and judgmental in their religious views. If you're similar in age to me, you might remember the cantata, the Jonah Man Jazz. We sang it at our school. Nineveh City was a city of sin. The jazzing and a jiving made a terrible din, etc. A bit like Newcastle City Centre um, on a Saturday night. And of course, our anti-hero Jonah is sent by God to prophesy to the city and to tell them to mend their ways. He doesn't want to do this, as the story goes, if you remember it, and runs away and ends up being thrown overboard from the ship that he's fleeing in and swallowed up by a whale. And there, in the belly of the whale, Jonah suddenly becomes terribly pious and delivers quite a long prayer from the whale's belly. And he says, oh, Lord, if you will only save me, I promise I will do what you've asked me to do. And the prayer finishes with the words, deliverance belongs to the Lord. At which point the whale promptly spews Jonah up onto a beach near to Nineveh. And Jonah begins to wander across that great city, supposed to be so big it was going to take him three days to walk from one side to the other. And as he goes, he prophesies and tells people to mend their ways. And then he waits to see what will happen. And there comes the blow to Jonah's expectations. The king of Nineveh hears Jonah's prophecy, takes it seriously and tells all of his people, including himself, to repent in sackcloth and ashes. And God hears and sees what they're doing and decides not to destroy the city after all. Jonah is livid. I knew you'd do that, God. That's why I didn't want to do it in the first place. How is anyone going to take me seriously as a prophet if my prophecies don't come true? Oh, I might as well be dead. And God turns to Jonah and says, Is it right for you to be angry? You see, it's all right for Jonah to say deliverance belongs to the Lord when it's Jonah that wants delivering. But it's a different story for Jonah when it's somebody else. I think Jonah could be described as the patron saint of those who are determined to prove their point. But his point is not the point. In fact, he's missed the point, hasn't he? Surely the point of being a prophet is to call people to change. He should be delighted that they've done just that. And why does God want people to change? 
Well, because he loves them and he wants what's best for them. And when we choose lifestyles that are unhealthy to ourselves and involve cruelty to others, as we hear from implication that Nineveh has chosen, then of course he wants the city to change its ways. And so God shows Jonah what he means on a small scale in order to illustrate his larger message. He appoints a miraculous shrub to grow up and to shelter Jonah from the beating down of the sun as Jonah sits on the hillside waiting to see what's going to happen to Nineveh. And then almost as quickly as it's grown up overnight, the shrub withers away and dies and poor Jonah is left sweltering in the sunshine and once again saying, I might as well be dead. I can't even rely on you for that, God. Jonah is whining like a small child. It's not fair. Because he's lost sight of the bigger picture. In God's economy, in God's order of things, which is sometimes hard for us with our limited vision to see, what is fair is not always what is right. God's presented this bush to shade Jonah and then allowed it to die in order to help Jonah to understand. He says, you're upset because the bush died? How much more concerned should I be about the lives of over 120,000 people and animals who do not know their right hand from their left? It's an ancient metaphor which simply means they, they can't judge right. They needed some guidance about how best to live. I sent you to call them back to the right path. And they did that. But all you were interested in was your own physical comfort and in being proven right with hellfire and damnation. So, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? In God's economy, in God's order of things, what seems fair is not always what is right. This is the unique concept, I think, amongst the world's religions that we Christians have come to call grace. It's what happens when people don't get what they deserve. They don't get their comeuppance. The writer Philip Yancey puts it beautifully in a phrase that I've pondered over for years. He says, there is nothing that I can do that can make God love me anymore. And there is nothing that I can do that can make God love me any less. This is grace. 
What he's trying to say is that God's love for us does not depend on us being good or morally pure, thank goodness, or on us keeping a set of religious rules, or on saying the right number of prayers, or of giving the right amount to charity. There is nothing that we can do that will make God love us any more than God already does. But equally, and sometimes shockingly, God's love for us does not diminish when we behave appallingly or turn our back on God or respond to the terrible suffering of our world with apathy. There is nothing that we can do that will make God love us any less than God already does either. God's love for you and for me and for the person you detest most in the world is nothing less than infinite. That may be hard to stomach, but it's true. And so we come to the gospel reading, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. It's not fair, cry those who have been working since dawn, when they see those Johnny-come-latelys who only got hired at the end of the day, being paid the same amount as them. Whenever I hear this story, it reminds me of an occasion when I was a child. My godmother had come to stay and her young son with her, and I was about 10 or 11 at the time. My brother was off doing something else, so my mum gave me some extra pocket money and the same amount for my godmother's son, Andrew, and said, head off to the fairground and enjoy yourselves for a couple of hours. You wouldn't do it today, would you? But in those days, the world seemed a safer place. And so we headed down to the fairground and had a go on the waltzers and played the slot machines and had an ice cream and then returned home. When my brother got back, he was less than pleased, having discovered that I had been given extra pocket money in order to entertain Andrew. He felt that he should be getting some extra pocket money as well, otherwise it was not fair. I took great delight in telling him that it was up to mum if she gave me more money than she gave to him and not up to him. Unconsciously, my smug ten-year-old self was echoing exactly what's happened in this parable. The, landlo the landowner turns to those angry and disgruntled labourers who've been working since the beginning of the day and says, I choose to give these last the same as you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious? Because I am generous. This story gives us an example of God's radical economy of grace. There are no number of hours you can work in the vineyard. 
that will make me pay you any more, says the landowner. And there are no number of hours you can work in the vineyard that will make me pay you any less. Is it right for you to be angry? This is a parable about grace. And sometimes we can find ourselves in the positions of the workers who've been working since dawn. We look at a situation and yes, it does seem unfair. Sometimes it's hard for us with our limited vision to see what God is about. But God has the bigger picture, doesn't he? Just as he did in Nineveh. In God's economy, in God's order of things, what is fair is not always what is right. The landowner promised those who went out to work first the usual daily wage. He promised to pay all the others who went to work for him whatever is right. When I hear this story, I picture in my head the job centre in Newcastle City Centre, right across the road from the cathedral, and the people waiting aimlessly outside its doors, waiting for appointments, or waiting to meet up with somebody before they wend their weary way home. I picture also the doll queues of the 1980s. And also, I imagine those who are going to lose their jobs in their hundreds of thousands in the economic crisis which is hitting us in this time of pandemic. And I wonder at this story that is 2000 years old, that so little has changed. Those daily labourers queuing in the marketplace, hoping to pick up a little work. It may not have seemed fair to those who had worked from the beginning of the day, that those who worked from the end of the day received the same salary. But surely, just as now, each one of them may have had a family to support, partners and children, elderly parents perhaps, all relying on them to bring something home, to put food on the table that night and to pay the bills. In God's radical economy of grace, the landowner doesn't promise to pay what is fair. He promises to pay what is right. What will enable every one of those workers to survive and their families to thrive in difficult times. This is an example of the bigger picture that God sees and weeps over.
For God's kingdom is not about fairness, but about justice. I pray that we may be better prophets than Jonah in our own day and age, when our voices need more than ever to be heard. And the importance of God's grace needs more than ever to be understood. Is it right for us to be angry? Well, yes, it surely is. But let us pray that God's Holy Spirit will guide us so that we're getting angry about the right things. Amen. Now is the time in our service where we quiet our minds, open our hearts and speak directly to God. Although we're physically apart, we are spiritually connected as a church family and none of us are alone. At this time of prayer, as is the custom in our MCC Northern Lights service, I light a candle in remembrance of those that have been lost to AIDS and those that suffer from HIV related illnesses. We pray for those who dedicate their lives and their work to the eradication of this condition. Brothers, sisters and siblings, would you please pray with me? Loving Creator God, we come before you today in reverence. We open our hearts to you. We ask for your love to shine upon us all, and in particular, those in greatest need. We pray for those affected by COVID-19, those on ventilators and in hospitals and those unwell and suffering at home. We pray for everyone whose lives have been made difficult due to this global pandemic, including those who don't have access to sanitation or have the ability to social distance due to overcrowding and poor living conditions. We pray for those throughout the world in distress due to oppression and abuse of rights. We know that each of us is unique and precious in your eyes and we see the worth of every one of your children. This week, Bisexuality Awareness Week, we particularly pray for those that are bisexual and may be struggling with their sexuality, oppressed because of it, or feeling invisible or invalidated in a world that may not understand. We know that you see us all, Mother, and you understand the very workings of our hearts. We thank you for this community at MCC Northern Lights, where we are all seen, all validated and all accepted by each other 
in this wonderful church community. We ask that you keep us safe and well in your care as we each continue to nurture, develop and strengthen MCC Northern Lights in our own unique ways. We pray for your love and protection for those whose names are written in our special book of prayer. And we pray for those known to ourselves who are in need. Lord, in your infinite love and mercy, please hear our prayers. We now speak the words that are given to us by your son Jesus, as he guided us how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. So now let us say together the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and evermore. Amen. Let us all go forth to continue declaring our faith in the living God and of our life in Jesus. Go in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about what we do, you can find us on social media or visit our website, northernlightsmcc.org.uk.